0: The 710. Now let's kick off your financial future. Here's Josh Jelinski.
1: Hi everybody. This is Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback. And up next, we're talking about, are you saving enough for retirement? We're going to reveal 401k balances and 15 questions to ask any financial advisor you might hire. And if they're good ones, we'll tell you which ones are good ones. Insightful, Which ones are just kind of a waste? You always see these. uh, What 10 questions you should ask a financial advisor? What five questions? What 15? I'm going to tell you, do I think they're bogus or not? Also, the difference between money market funds and HYSAs. And HYSA is a high-yield savings account. And risk tolerance versus risk capacity. First off, if you're to invest, you should know what risk tolerance is, you should know what risk capacity is, and know that they're different. They're not the same thing. Also, advisors fear slow growth. They see value in high-quality bonds. And 10 of the best CD rates for 2023. We're talking up to 7% APY that we're seeing. We'll talk about that and more on this edition of the Financial Quarterback. First off, from Market Watch, are you saving enough for retirement? Despite some improvements in 401ks and IRAs, retirement savings is still inadequate for a comfortable retirement for most people. In quarter one 2023, average IRA balances were one hundred nine thousand nine hundred. So congratulate yourself if you have more than that. That means you're above average. May not ensure that you don't go broke in retirement, but hey, at least it knows you're better than the average. Now, 401k balances were 108200 Even though baby boomers have the highest 401k balances, averaging 183000 many Americans lacked sufficient savings to retire. To improve retirement prospects, you can cultivate good savings habits, gradually increase contributions, maximize tax-advantaged retirement accounts, and consider additional savings outside of employer funds. Evaluating your needs and following guidelines, like the 4% rule, may be able to help you ensure a secure retirement. While Americans' 401ks and IRAs have improved, they are still not where they should be for a comfortable retirement. In quarter one, 2023, IRA balances were up 5%, and 401k balances were up 4%, according to Fidelity Investments. IRAs 109,900, we talked about this. 401ks, 108,200. 403Bs, if you work, for a nonprofit, educational, or hospital institution, 97,900. Baby boomers have the highest 401k balances. Now, fidelity gives you a good rule of thumb. I I don't, and rules of thumb are just that. They're rules of thumb. So 4% rule, rule of thumb. Is there a flaw to it? Yes. But, you know, if you're simple, and you need something to hang your hat on, Fidelity says you should have six times your salary saved by age 50 and seven times by age 55. I guess that's as good as any. Roughly half of the people between ages 55 and 56 have nothing saved for retirement, according to the Census Bureau of the United States. Median retirement balances are much lower than the average with run report indicating a median balance of get this 35 grand. So an average is they take the highest and the lowest, and that's where they get that 108 number. But when you do a median, which is different, you know, mode, median, and arithmetic mean, the median is 35,345. That doesn't bode well for the average American. So what are some tips for a successful retirement? Number one, save 15% a year in a retirement account. If You can't save 15, save 10% of your salary. If you can't save 10, save a minimum of five. Otherwise, you're a waste of life and shouldn't even be working. (laughs) I mean, here's the thing. You might say, Josh, I only make 50 grand a year. I only make. 30 grand. You know what? Save two, save 5% of that 30 grand. That's 1,500 a year in a mutual fund or ETF over the next 30 years. You can amount to something, but you got to start small. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. Get working, get savings. If you're at zero, go to five. If you're at five, go to 10. If you're at 10, go to 15. Hey, if you're at 15, go to 20. Gradually increase savings each year. So let's say you start at five, then go to seven, then go to nine. You're not going to miss that extra 2%. Maximize your contributions to pre-tax and tax advantage retirement accounts. Why do I like retirement accounts? Are there limits? Sure. Is there problems? Yes. But I generally like them because it's for savings. And many people, if they see it or if it's in their bank account, they're going to piss it away in the latest iPhone. Utilize employer retirement plans like 401ks for ease of savings and sort of forced savings money can come directly out of your paycheck. If you don't have those options, call us and we'll show you better ways to save. 888-988-JOSH. Also, you want to choose the right plan that aligns with your situation, not some talking head on a podcast, or radio show, or TV, such as a Roth option for those in lower tax brackets. And you want to ensure you're running projections to ensure your current savings align with your future retirement goals. So we have an amazing software called Right Capital where you can run all types of projections from, am I going to hit a Medicare tax? Is my tax rate going to be higher in retirement? What happens if my spouse dies? What happens if I get disabled? What happens if I get pushed out of work too soon? Call us at 888-988-JOSH and say the word projection and our team will book you a no-obligation review at 888-988-JOSH. Also, set a savings goal of around 15% of your income. And ensure you have an adequate emergency fund and no high-interest debt before saving for retirement. Calculate retirement needs based on expected expenses and available benefits. And follow the 4% rule as a conservative guideline for sustainable retirement withdrawals. What is the 4% rule? It means if you have a million dollars saved for retirement, You can only take out 40 grand a year if you want that 40 to last you your whole life and be inflation adjusted. It's based on the Trinity study by a man named William Bengen. Wade Pfau argues that it actually is more like 1.9%. Some people say 3%. So you have to realize that whatever your retirement nest egg has, you can only live off that number times .04 on a calculator. Otherwise, you run the risk of running out of money. That's what the 4% rule states. Considering additional savings outside of a 401k, such as brokerage accounts. While retirement savings have improved, many of you still fall short of the recommended savings level for comfortable retirement. You're not gonna be able to work forever. Talked to a gentleman this week. He was part of a vibrant company that was brought out by a private equity firm. And guess what? They had no need of him anymore. He went from making $250 a year to $140. So, yeah, I mean, $140 is not a bad salary. But if you're used to making $250, how are you going to live? If you've become accustomed to that lifestyle, it's the same as retirement. Sure, you could live on less but do you want to you know back in the day there was something called needs based financial planning which i think's kind of a joke i don't live my life based on need neither do you i want a wants based financial plan so what do you do you establish good savings credits good savings habits save 15% of your pay Number two, gradually increase the amount you save. Number three, take advantage of Roths and pre tax accounts. Additionally, assess your retirement needs and consider additional savings beyond employer sponsored plans that can help you better prepare for retirement. You, say, you may say, Josh, I'm not at the number I want to be just maxing out my 401k. You know what? Open up a brokerage account and keep saving money. You can open up an after-tax brokerage account. You know, you don't have to just stay at 30 grand a year if you're over 50 or 22,500. There's a lot you can do. So give us a call now, 988 Josh and head over to the website retirenow.info and you'll be eligible for four Count them, four free gifts. Gift number one, the on-point risk analyzer. You get to look at your portfolio and see, am I too risky? Am I too conservative? Gift number two, the maximize my social security conversation. Gift number three, the 27-point ultimate financial game plan. And gift number four, you get your very own copy of my book, the retirement reality check as a free gift when you call and schedule your own 45-minute wealth strategy session at 888-988-JOSH. You can meet with me in my headquarters in Toms River, New Jersey, or you can meet with us all over the country uh, through the power of Zoom or phone calls. So give us a call now, 888-988-JOSH. 888-988-JOSH, we'll be back after this, talking about questions to ask a financial advisor. And what answer could be a huge red flag when we return? This is Josh Jelinsky, the financial quarterback. Don't touch that dial. Tune in to the financial quarterback, Josh Jelinski, of the Jelinski Advisory Group this weekend
0: and learn how to protect your financial future during these turbulent times. Looking to lower your taxes or need help securing your financial future? Then Josh and his team are the people for you. They're experts in financial economics with one mission in mind, to protect you and your investments. From their 27-point checklist to their one-of-a-kind financial quarterback approach, they help you achieve financial health and guide you through the hard times of high inflation, looming recessions and stock market meltdown. For financial security, call them now,
1: 888-988-5674, and get your free copy of Josh's book, The Retirement Reality Check. And we're back. This is Josh Jelinski, the financial quarterback. One surprising question you should ask any financial advisor you might hire, and their answer could be a huge flag. You want to emphasize the importance of thorough vetting when hiring a financial planner. While the responsibility of managing one's life savings is big, it's crucial to ensure that the planner that you use is both trustworthy and aligned with your financial goals. We want to give you a list of 15 essential questions to ask a financial planner which delve into their qualifications, how they're compensated, fiduciary responsibilities, which basically, in other words, are they legally acting in your best interest? And then an approach to client relationships. So here we go. 15 questions. Drum roll, please. Number one, what is your definition of a financial planner? Now, you want to ensure your requirements as a client match their services. Number two, what are your qualifications? What designations do you have? Number three, what is your compensation structure? How do you get paid? They're not doing this for free. And if your guy says, hey, I'm doing this for free, watch out, you know, I got a bridge to sell you. Next, how do you get paid? Then are you fee-only, fee-based, or commission-based? Doesn't really matter, but it's good for you to know. Uh, Commission-based might have more of an incentive to sell you their product. Fee-based means they're generally fee-based, but they could do, uh, let's say, assets under management if you manage stocks, bonds, mutual funds for a fee and commissions for, let's say, insurance products. That's generally what some might call fee-based. Fee-only is there is no commission. It's only fee. Some people say you want to have a fee-only instead of a fee-based. I disagree. You just want somebody to be truthful about their compensation so you know whether your interests align with theirs. Next question, what's your fee structure? 1%, 2%, one and a half, one and a quarter, 1.75. How much should I expect to pay you per year? What are the other costs? A lot of people use a technology service. It's $40 an account, something like that. Will you sign a contract regarding your compensation? Ensuring transparency and a commitment from the planner. If you uh, engage us. Our firm wealth quarterback we will give you a written contract that will stipulate your goals your objectives and how we're to manage the money as well as the fees. Next question, do you receive ongoing free fees from any of the mutual funds in the form of 12b1 fees, trailing commissions or other payouts? A yes or no question to understand the planner's compensation sources is critical. And then, are you a fiduciary? Yes or no? Question. What kind of people do you normally work with? Um, Some of these questionnaires, and this one says, will you sign a fiduciary oath? If you have someone with CFP, CFA, Series 66, Series 65, they are fiduciaries, and the contract stipulates that. So I don't know, you don't really need to sign an oath. It's like, and what's the point of that? But you want to ensure that the the financial advisor you're dealing with is committed to operate in your best interest. Next, who do you normally work with? Who are clients you work well with? Who are clients you don't work well with? If they say, no, we work well with everybody. Well, that's not true. I don't mesh with everybody the same way, and neither do you. Personality is important too. Can you repeat it so that I understand what you're saying? So you want to have clear communication and ask the advisor to break it down jargon-free if possible. Next, are you a member of any financial institutions? Or associations. A question I have is Who do you use as a custodian? Do you have any limitations? Recognize the value of a planner admitting areas outside of their expertise. How often should we speak to one another? When do we schedule meetings? What is the frequency? What is the expected client service model? Here's the truth when you're with somebody, And you're new to them, they're going to try to romance you. It's with anybody. And how often will you see me after we've gone through the honeymoon period? We, as a firm, Wealth Quarterback, will do annual reviews every six month reviews, every three month reviews. But the client calls us and tells us they want to see us. So we have a great kind of policy where if you want to see us and sign your annual review time recorder call us anyway you' have a concern call us 988 Josh a broad definition of a financial planner can encompass various services from investments to insurance to even taxes not all financial planners have the same qualifications. some may only have licenses to sell financial products so there's a difference between advisor with an O and advisor spelled with an E. Financial planners should be comfortable sharing and signing agreements that stipulate compensation. We do. It's essential for you to understand terms, not be overwhelmed by them. Here's the thing, though: a lot of people are overwhelmed. So you need to just say, hey, will you break this down a little simpler? You're going over my head and we'll do that. Choosing a planner is a decision that can significantly impact your whole financial life. By asking pointed and clear questions, individuals can ensure they're partnering with a planner who is transparent, qualified, and prioritizes your best interests. It's not just about managing finances, but building a relationship based on trust and understanding. Next topic, we're going to talk about differences between money markets and HYSAs, according to CNBC. Money markets and HYSAs are different. Both are popular choices right now, as individuals are aiming to maximize their savings yield while maintaining their liquidity. They are primarily used for emergency funds or short-term savings accounts, offering stability and liquidity. Money market funds tend to have slightly higher interest rates, with top ones paying around 5.4 to 5.5 percent, whereas high-yield savings accounts can offer up to five and a quarter percent. Basically, a lot of you are still stuck at zero. My financial tip right now is get off of zero. Too many of you have cash accounts earning 0.01 at your famous uh, bank with two first names. Always remember that. Oh, beware of men with two first names. Beware of financial firms with two names. Now I'm just like, I won't mention names. You know what I mean? With top ones paying around 5 Ish percent. High yield savings accounts are FDIC insured up to money mar- uh 250, whereas money market funds, being mutual fund investments, lack FDIC insurance but come with CIPIC protection. While high yield savings accounts usually don't demand minimum deposits, money market funds often necessitate a significant initial investments. Let's talk about the purpose and use of the various vehicles. Money market funds and HYSA's high-yield savings accounts are popular choices for those of you who want to get off of zero, get easy access to your cash, and get better interest rates. Both are ideal for emergency funds or short-term savings. Both offer stability and liquidity, making them secure choices for fund storage. Interest rates. Money market funds... Generally, provide higher interest rates than high yield savings accounts. Top yielding money markets offer as much as 5% right now. Now, you got to know that insurance and FDIC protection, HYSA's high yield savings accounts give you 250 grand of protection per account. Money market funds don't. But that being said, Larry Kotlikoff and others say that if you get a government money market fund that invests primarily in U.S. treasuries, you're going to be more protected if that bank would ever collapse, as you saw with the SVB Silicon Valley bank scandal. High yield savings accounts typically have no minimum deposit requirements. Money market funds often require substantial value. Here's the point. If you're still stuck at zero, give us a call, 888-988-JOSH. I'll try to find you better ways to earn better rates on your cash. When deciding between money markets and high-yield savings accounts, you should consider your goals, risk tolerance, and liquidity needs. While both options provide a means to earn interest on savings, they come with distinct protections it's essential to understand the differences to make an informed decision that aligns with one financial objectives. So for example, if you don't have the FDIC insurance coverage, you might think, wow, um, I don't want that, but the money market funds may have greater protections in the event of a bank collapse if you have greater than 250 grand. More than the FDIC limit, so there's a balance there. Just like anything, you got to get educated. Call us at 988 Josh. Next up, investors should know these two risks. It's kind of like yin and yang: risk tolerance versus risk capacity. It sounds very similar. It sounds like the same basic thing. But their difference. According to an article from CNBC called Why Investors Need to Know About Risk Tolerance and Risk Capacity, the article from CNBC underscores the need to understand the difference between those two terms. Now, let's define the terms because you might not even know what they mean. Risk tolerance is your Emotional comfort level with market fluctuations, while risk capacity is your financial ability to handle such risks. So there's people I see all the time, they have risk capacity. They have a couple million bucks saved for retirement, but they don't have risk tolerance. They are not happy with the emotional stranglehold that the market can have for them. Next up, you have to, different asset classes like cash, bonds, or stocks come with their own set of risks and potential returns. It's crucial for investors to balance their emotional reactions to market change. Just talked about money markets, emotionally, people got scared with the bank, so they preferred money markets with certain institutions like Fidelity, Schwab, others, because they knew there were treasuries backing those deposits. And if the bank went under, they could go to the treasury money market fund. It's crucial for investors to balance emotional reactions to these changes in the market with your actual capacity to handle such a loss. Failing to do so can help you, uh, can hurt you and lead to significant Financial setbacks. First, differentiate between risk tolerance, that's your emotional comfort level with market fluxes, and risk capacity, your financial ability. Second, various asset classes have different risk levels and potential returns. Third, the critical nature of balancing risk tolerance and risk capacity when making your investment decisions. Everybody's slightly different. The consequences of not accurately gauging one's risk. I just had a guy in yesterday, lovely couple came in to see me and the guy and his wife made some great steps sort of take back their financial future. And it really was a risk tolerance versus risk capacity. They had the capacity to handle fluctuations, but they didn't really have the risk tolerance for it. So we crafted a plan where we put about 70% in treasuries and about 30% in equities. We could do that for you too. So it's essential to understand how much market volatility can make you comfortable emotionally. I always tell people this, the best portfolio is the one you can live with and not vomit out your portfolio. That is risk tolerance. Risk capacity, That involves, will you really run out of money? When will you run out of money? And what are the problems? And different asset classes have different risks and rewards. Cash helps you emotionally, but it may hurt your risk capacity because you may not be able to beat inflation. Investors need to be aware of the nuances. Sounds kind of like the same thing, but they are two distinct terms. You must find a harmony between your emotional comfort with risk and your actual financial capacity to handle it. This balance is crucial for your long-term success. What are the consequences of misjudgment, of misjudging your risk tolerance or capacity? Failing to accurately assess one's risk can lead to financial ruin and setbacks and missed opportunities because you call your advisor when the market's down and your account's down 20 or 30 percent like during March of 2020 or even last year the market was down significantly and a lot of people sold at the exact wrong time. That's why these things are important. You might say, oh, it's just emotions. People often act emotionally And then use logic to back their emotional decisions, such as just selling everything, rather than an informed judgment. So you want to have informed judgment, not rash decisions based on a potential loss. Also understand the difference between risk tolerance and risk capacity. It's paramount for you. While emotions play a role in your decisions, It's crucial to balance your emotions with the financial realities of one situation. By being aware of emotion-driven decisions and the distinct risks associated with each asset class, you can make an informed decision and set yourselves up for long-term success. Here's the thing. Let's say you're more conservative than the average person. Well, you know what you do? You take 30%, put it in treasuries. Well, that's guaranteed. And maybe the presence of that guarantee allows you to take a little bit more risk with 70% of your money or 60%. Go over to retirenow.info, put your info in. It's confidential and be eligible for free, free gifts. You will get the four free gifts when you schedule and keep your 27-point ultimate financial game plan. I'll throw in my book, The Retirement Reality Check. You'll get the 27-point game plan. The ultimate online, it's called the risk analyzer, on-point risk analyzer. You get to score your top five holdings from a perspective of risk, fees, and taxation. But I need to hear from you. Call me now, 888-988-JOSH, and request a free 45-minute ultimate financial game plan. We'll be back after these messages.
0: Tune in to the Financial Quarterback Josh Jelinski this weekend and learn how to protect your financial future in a down economy. Josh and his team at the Jelinski Advisory Group can help you lower your taxes and lower your risk in these uncertain times with a 27-point checklist designed to improve your financial health. Whether you're worried about runaway prices, fear of an upcoming recession, or a stock market meltdown, tune in to the Financial Quarterback and count on Josh Jelinski to call the play. For a free copy of Josh's book, The Retirement Reality Check, call 888 5674 That's 888-988-5674. Or visit Jalinski.org.
1: That's J-A-L-I-N-S-K-I.org. Hi, everybody. This is Josh Jalinski, the financial quarterback. We're back talking about advisors fearing slow growth according to a new PGM study. PGM was the Investment management arm of Prudential, I don't know if they're stolen by Prudential, but indicates a growing preference among financial advisors for high quality bonds, especially treasuries. These bonds, along with municipal and investment grade corporate bonds, basically that's when you lend money to the federal government, treasury, the local governments, municipals, or a company like Microsoft. Apple, whatever, that's called investment-grade corporate bonds. You're basically investing in the debt of the federal government or a company. They've been ranked as the most attractive fixed income sectors in 2023. For good reason. I mean, you get a treasury now for like 5%. This is a notable change from the previous year when treasuries were viewed less favorably. The study also points to the rising appeal of agency-backed mortgage-backed securities like Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, and asset-backed securities. Advisors view these high-quality bonds as a viable hedge against equities in the current interest rate scenario. Although I don't know why you would invest in like, mortgages, for example, at 5% when you can get government debt for 5%. And they are a viable hedge against equities in the current interest rates now. A lot of people worried, hey, stock, stock market, what if it craps out? Well, you could invest in a treasury. However, diversification across fixed income classes remains crucial. The study reveals advisors' concerns. 56% fear an economic slowdown. 53% are apprehensive about inflation uncertainty. of advisors are wary of stock market volatility. It sounds like advisors are absorbing the fears of their clients. That's what that's telling me, this stat. In the future, geopolitical events, regulatory changes, and stock market volatility are expected to be the primary concerns with tax management also emerging as a significant issue. High-quality bonds preference. Financial advisors are inc- increasingly recommending high-quality bonds. Treasuries, municipal bonds, and investment-grade corporate bonds are seen as the most attractive fixed-income sectors in 2023. This preference marks a dramatic shift from the previous year when treasuries were among the least attractive sectors. A lot of people didn't even know what they were. Other attractive securities, the study highlights the growing attractiveness of agency mortgage-backed securities, which, you know, nobody wanted to touch Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac because the old mortgage meltdown. So, hey, they're hot now. This preference marks a marked shift. Why are people preferring bonds more? Advisors are seeing potential returns in high-quality bonds in the current interest rate environment. They consider these bonds as a reasonable hedge against equities. Now, what about diversification? Advisors are emphasizing diversification across fixed income classes to safeguard against sudden economic shifts. So you don't have all your eggs in one basket. Maybe you have 10% in cash, 30% in treasuries, 60% in stocks, something like that. What are the concerns? We talked about potential economic slowdown, inflation, and stock market volatility. My point here, which is interesting, is these advisors are seemingly absorbing the fears of the people they're talking to on a regular basis. So, what would I say to this? You need an advisor who's going to say, get a grip, who's going to be sort of insensitive to your concerns. This is telling me most advisors are wimps. They're just absorbing the energy that their clients are putting out. Obviously, I get it. You, the listener, I get why you're worried about the stock market. I get why you're worried about inflation. I get why you're worried about an economic slowdown. But your advisor should have kahunas of steel until you do not sell. Now, yes, you may be too risky, right? But if you want to achieve your long-term goals, 5% ain't cutting it. You're going to get 7 to 10% long-term equity returns to cut it. You know, so you might say, well, Josh, I'm, I feel older. Well, then have 50% bonds, 50% stocks. That's an asset allocation decision. All these things, nobody knows when inflation is going to die. Nobody won't, knows when we won't have stock market volatility. Nobody knows when we won't have an economic slowdown. But you know what we do know? You have to stick to your plan. Now, your plan may stink. You may need your plan revised. That's why we want you to call us at 888-988-JOSH for the getting the second opinion On your wealth scenario, 800 321 888 988 Josh. Get you my free book, The Retirement Reality Check, 888 988 Josh. Up next. So it's kind of funny, you know, advisors are absorbing the fears of their clients. In other news, we got the best CD rates for September 2023. We're talking up to 7%. Now, the average I'm seeing is like five-ish percent. Many of these, this is according to Market Watch, many of these high rates come with specific conditions. The increase in CD rates is attributed to the Federal Reserve's efforts to combat inflation by creating, think about this, the, the Federal Reserve is looking to quell inflation by forcing our economy into a recession So asset prices fall. But hey, take the lemon of high interest rates and turn it into the lemonade of better rates on your CDs, your fixed annuities and treasuries. So the current CD landscape is pretty big. Risen notably in 2023, some rates are exceeding 5.5% and the article even references a 7% APY. It's available to a limited group and as a maximum deposit of seven grand. You got to be careful. Some of these are come on rates for the first 5,000. Many high rate offers are restricted to specific locales or of deposit minimums or maximums. Some offers are promotional aimed at attracting new customers only, especially from smaller online banks and credit unions. You want to make sure that bank is not like Silicon Valley Bank and goes up in smoke. You got to be careful. Also, you may want to look at just what are called MIGAs, multi-year guaranteed rate annuities, because I just saw one, you know, you can get 5% for five years. You can get 5.3% for five years. So if you're going to tie up money for one year, what happens in year two when rates go back down? You're getting a lower rate. Well, maybe consider a MIGA, a multi-year guaranteed rate annuity. They are fixed. They have no internal fees. They generally allow you to take up to 10% of your money out. When you die, there's a death benefit. If you go in a nursing home, they allow for liquidity. So you may want to look at that beyond just CDs. CD rates have seen their highest. They've not seen this level in many years. 12-month CD rates averaged 1.76% as of August 21, a significant increase from 0.46% a year ago. Here's the thing. If you're still stuck at one, call us. You can do much better than that. The Federal Reserve has increased rates to combat inflation. Banks have been forced to increase CD rates to compete with the return that one can buy in a U.S. Treasury. As the benchmark funds rates increase, financial institutions raise interest rates on savings products to attract new customers. Same thing with annuities. They're backed by insurance companies. Tips for choosing a CD. Always read the fine print to ensure the CD aligns with your financial goals. And CDs are less liquid than traditional savings accounts and come with restrictions. Withdrawing money before the CD's maturity rate can result in penalties. Some CDs have high minimum deposit requirements, while others limit the interest you can earn. It's essential to evaluate the risk before locking in your money, especially during an inverted yield curve scenario. Here are some of the top rates 7.19% for seven months, but with specific locations and deposit restrictions. It's by a bank called Alpina Alcona. I've never heard of this bank. Local government federal credit union, 6.5% for six months, and it requires a credit union membership. That's a good tip. Check out credit unions. Get some good deals from credit unions now. One American Bank, five point eight five percent APY for one hundred and seventy days, with a one hundred thousand minimum. Finworth, five point eight percent APY for fifteen months, fifty thousand minimum. Conexus, five point seven six. Sun East, five point seven five. Abound, five point seven five. Maple Mark, five point seven five. Total Direct Bank, five point six five. RTP. FCU 5.6, I've realized you may be tying your money up for nine months, 12 months, 10 months. Restrictions apply. You you know, you know don't want to do this alone. I mean, rate shopping, basically, if you're just this uh, person who's going to different banks every six months, swapping accounts, why are they doing that? They're doing that to lure you, and then in six months or a year, they're going to drop the rate. So, I would rather have a longer term so you get higher rates for longer term money. And when we return, we'll talk about five surprising financial habits you may want to consider. But head over during the break to retirenow.info, where you get four free gifts, including my book, Retirement Reality Check. And when we return from the break, we'll talk about five financial habits you may want to consider, and some may even surprise you. We'll be back after these messages.
0: Maybe it seems like prices can't get much higher, or that the stock market is headed for bear territory, or maybe you're worried about another great recession. Josh Jalinski, the financial quarterback, can help you protect your family's financial future in times like these. Tune in this weekend to the financial quarterback to hear how Josh and his team can help you decrease your tax liability and lower your risk. Call 888-988-5674 to take advantage of Josh's 27-point plan to achieve financial health. And when you call, you'll receive a free copy of Josh's book, Retirement Reality Check. Tune in every weekend to The Financial Quarterback and call 888-988-5674 to receive your free copy of Retirement Reality Check.
1: And we're back. This is Josh Jelinski, The Financial Quarterback, talking about five surprising financial habits you may want to reconsider. There are practices you may have introduced into your life with the best intentions that aren't doing as much good for your bottom line as you may have thought. Number one is the illusion of savings from deals. My mother literally went bankrupt because of this one. She would buy a deal on QVC, you know, if the Joy Mangano, you know, a steamer or the Toby. I had so many, it's funny, I love the idea of a steamer for your clothes, but I've never used one because I send my clothes to the dry cleaners. And and the idea was, hey, you know, I would save on my dry cleaning bills because I could just go, shh, shh, shh. But you know what? The Floby or the Toby, it was called the Toby, T-O-B-Y, it was a waste of money. I bought that. My mom didn't buy that, but I got that from my mother, like, oh, I'm going to buy this and it's going to solve this problem. And oh, it's on sale. You know what? I never, uh, thank God, I've never had the financial room my parents had, but my mother literally went bankrupt because she bought things on sale a lot. That's a problem for many of you. Securing deals can give a sense of accomplishment, but it's essential to evaluate the actual savings. Driving extra miles. My wife told me about this when we got married. Like, you're spending this much on gas. You're driving 60 miles, paying tolls to save $20. You know, it's like, or hopping off from one store to another for minor discounts can be counterproductive. The hidden costs include not just gas and vehicle wear, but also the invaluable time spent. For instance, driving to a neighboring town to save a few cents on gas might not be cost-effective in the bigger picture. But Costco, gas, good deal. While convenience shouldn't always dictate choices, strategic planning can help. For example, using online tools to compare gas prices can offer savings without unnecessary detours. There are apps now that do this. So here's the broader point of this segment. I think it's a great one. Financial habits such as building an emergency fund and investing are usually recommended. However, some habits like buying things on sale adopted with the best intention may not be as beneficial for one's financial health as initially believed. In particular, habits formed in the pursuit of frugality can sometimes backfire. So one tip is buy things when you need it. Don't just buy things because they're on sale. Like, do you really need this thing? One thing I did that I thought was very helpful, I have a little bit of my mother in me, is I would buy a lot of things at the store on Black Friday just so I'd get that rush of holiday shopping. Wouldn't open it for a week and see, do I still gain that satisfaction from that first purchase? And then if I didn't, I would return it. Now, you might say, you sound like an idiot. But some of you may get that rush from buying something. You know, you're addicted to that rush. Oh, I got a new new iPhone. I got a new TV. And then use the return policies. One of the reasons I love Costco is they have good gas and they have a great return policy. So if something's bad, you know, they're not going to, you know, rake you over the coals for returning. So what do you do? What do you do next? So one habit that costs people a lot of money is buying things on sale. The next habit is do-it-yourself home projects. I also, I too, was a victim of the DIY approach, which I did it because I was frugal, but it had enormous costs because after I was done doing a crappy job putting up tile in my bathroom one time, one of the biggest lessons I learned in my 20s Was to focus on my business, on clients, and not on DIY projects. So as a newly married couple, my wife and I, we bought a fixer-upper to save money. Noble thing. And then I had all my friends that said, oh, you can do this. We'll help you learn how to tile. You know what? They helped me a little bit. They put the little things in the wall. But after a while, their wives said, hey, honey, I have a honey-do list for you. And they're like, oh, I got to go. They left me. So I still remember the art of doing tile, but I did such a bad job. As soon as I made a little bit more money where I could hire somebody, they ripped it all out, put in a nice tile job. Because here's the thing, you're not a tile worker. And if you're not that handy, now, if you're handy, that's one thing. But a lot of people aren't. You got to be honest with yourself. Without expert knowledge, mistakes happen, leading to more expensive uh, rectifications down the line. Professionals charge more for their expertise and experience. ensuring the job is done correctly the first time. The upfront cost can prevent future expenses and ensure quality. Same thing with hiring a financial advisor. Good advisors are going to cost money. Bad advisors may be free. Re-evaluating home warranty plans. The fear of unexpected repair costs can push individuals toward extended warranty plans. However, these plans often don't provide the value they promise and are big waste. Consumer reports suggest that many extended auto warranty policies aren't beneficial. Similarly, home warranty plans can be more hassle than they're worth. Instead of relying on costly warranty plans, setting aside a repair fund or budgeting for anticipated wear and tear can be a more practical approach. There are a few of these, like if you have a old home and you have like the, uh, the pipe from your house to the main, you know, some of those are worth getting because those can be very costly, but generally not a good idea. Number four, navigating the maze of insurance. Insurance is designed to offer protection, but not all insurance products are worth doing. Some can lead to redundant coverage or unnecessary expenses. Consider getting rid of accidental death and dismemberment. For example, children's life insurance often doesn't offer substantial benefits. And collision insurance for an older, low-value car might not be cost-effective. Note, I'm not telling you to not buy insurance on your kids. cash value insurance bought on your kids can be a great thing. I do that for my kids. Uh, We have some good policies set up for them. But sometimes, you know, if you don't have enough coverage for you and your spouse, maybe you shouldn't buy it on the kids. Rental car insurance is sometimes redundant because sometimes Visa or Amex will give you rental car protection. And then the fifth thing, bulk buying. As a fan of Costco, I too have succumbed to this. I still have colon cleansing quantities of pistachios from Costco from the COVID pandemic and I don't know what I'm doing with them. And then I open them and the pistachios taste like garbage, but I'm saving them because I'm going to bring them back to Costco and exchange them for fresh ones. So I do have a plan here, but maybe I shouldn't have bought that many pistachios in the meantime. Bulk purchases, especially at wholesale clubs can seem like a smart financial move. However, it's essential to evaluate actual needs versus perceived savings. Perishable items bought in bulk can lead to waste if they spoil before consumption. Similarly, non-perishable items stashed away and forgotten don't offer value. The allure of sales can be misleading. As Allison Sanka points out, buying something solely because it's on sale even if it's not needed means an unnecessary expenditure. It is crucial to distinguish between genuine needs and impulsive purchases driven by discounts. Good financial habits, friends, are built on informed decisions, not just intentions. By critically evaluating practices like chasing deals, DIY projects, extended warranties, overinsurance, bulk buying, individuals can optimize their financial strategies. Periodic reassessment ensures that habits align with genuine financial benefits, paving the way for a more secure financial future. And folks, call us 888-988-JOSH. I would love to meet with you. Shake your hand. Meet you over Zoom. Give you our 45-minute ultimate financial game plan. It's a 27-point checklist. Protection, savings, and growth. Free of charge when you schedule and keep your no-obligation review. 888-988-JOSH. 888-988-JOSH 888-988-JOSH